If you look over there on page 11 in your worship folder, you'll see the, the passage we're going to look at this morning. And it comes from Colossians chapter 3, just the first four verses. This is uh, one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the churches that he was ministering to throughout his, his ministry. And, um, you know, it, it, we'll read it here in just a moment, but I want to tell you why we're looking at this passage uh, it, it's often the case, especially on Easter Sunday, we would, we would open up perhaps one of the, the gospel accounts of the resurrection, and particularly because to talk about the resurrection, uh, if you've grown up in the church at all, we talk about it like, you know, this is a normal everyday thing. But it's not. <laughs> this, we're talking about something that the vast majority of people perhaps would look at us and say, that's crazy. That doesn't happen. And I just want to make you pause for a minute. And, and we believe in something none of us have seen, none of us have experienced. But it is a supernatural reality that is at the very heart of everything a Christian believes, without which everything Christians say they believe falls to the ground, and is pointless. And in fact, as Paul would say, if the resurrection didn't happen, I am up here as a liar. So we often would go to the Gospels and look at the resurrection accounts to try to establish, did it really happen? That would be one angle we could take this morning. Another angle would be to perhaps look at the Gospel accounts or even some of the New Testament letters and and, and dig down into and reflect on how did certain people respond to the resurrection of Jesus? Did everybody believe it? Did nobody believe it? Was it mixed? And we find a variety of reactions. But what I want to do this morning is neither of those. What I want to do this morning is try to ask a very simple practical question. What difference does it make for your life today, and when you get up tomorrow, that Jesus rose from the dead. What practical difference does it make? Because my fear is that functionally, all of us would say, yes, if you're a believer, yes, it does make practical difference, but do you really know that? Could you point to it in those conversations where you're left frustrated and angry or disappointed or hurt? I think for a lot of us, where we default is that the resurrection is good news for some time down the road, which is true. But what I really want to get us to think about today is, is the resurrection of Jesus good news for you today? And so that's the question I want to ask. What does it mean for us to live the resurrection what does it mean to live the resurrection? And to do that, I want to look at this passage from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. And we're going um, to pull in some others as well as we go. But this will be the where, where we anchor ourselves. So let's listen to, to God's word from Colossians chapter 3, and then we'll jump in. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's what I want to do. I got three points for us this morning. And each of these three points are meant to answer, I hope, three questions that we all are attempting to answer every day. So here are the three points, and then I'll tell you the questions that they attempt to answer, and we'll unfold this. We've got, first of all, the context for living the resurrection. In other words, does this really matter? Does it matter whether or not you believe Jesus rose from the dead? So the context for living the resurrection. Second, the practice of living the resurrection. Is it really possible for you to change? How can I change? That's the practice of resurrection. And thirdly, the hope of living the resurrection. Why shouldn't you just give up? When things are hard, or perhaps when God seems silent and distant or non-existent at all, and this thing called Christianity doesn't seem to work, why shouldn't you give up? So we've got the context, the practice, and the hope for living the resurrection this morning. So first, let's look at the context. Look with me here in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. I want to start out unfolding the context for living the resurrection by asking you the question, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? You look in verse 3, and you get perhaps one of the simplest, most profound answers in all the scriptures, and it's repeated again and again in the New Testament. But in verse 3, here is what a Christian is. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And I want you to see here, just to slow you down, notice what is being said. You've died and you are alive. Those don't go together. There is an apparent contradiction here that when the Bible describes a Christian, they are somebody who in in a very real sense has died. They're not the person they were anymore. That life is over. Death, a death has occurred. And at the very same time, they are alive. There is new life. There is a new beginning. And that life is hidden. It's wrapped up in It's clothed in Jesus. Now, I want you just to think about this with me for a minute, that a Christian is somebody whose life is wrapped up in, hidden in everything that is true about the life of Jesus. So when Paul then says, if you've been raised with Christ, then he says, verse 4, Or actually in verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ. Now, 
What, what, what else do we see about, let me, let me just try to unpack this by reading you a few verses from elsewhere in the New Testament. Here's what we're saying. A Christian is someone who has died and is alive. Think of Ephesians chapter 2. Here's in another letter of Paul, he says this. He says, you were dead in the trespasses, in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. And a little bit later, verse 4 of chapter 2 in Ephesians, he says, but God made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and has seated us with him in the heavenly places. That is a present statement about a Christian. Or, if we keep going and look in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, Paul says, If we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So when Paul says, you've died, what he's saying here is that the death he's talking about is the death of Jesus. That in some sense... To be a Christian means you have died with Jesus. And when it says that you are now alive, it means that you have risen with Jesus. If we go on in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Here again, there is death and there is life. This is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. And what does this look like in your daily experience? Well, Paul gives voice to this in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is what it means to be a Christian. Alive from the dead in your mortal body. That's what Paul is saying over and over in the New Testament. To be a Christian means you have died with Jesus and you have been raised with Jesus. That is a present truth. Now, what would it sound like if you really embraced that identity? If that truth really began to define who you are, how you view your life, how you look at your past, how you look at your future, I can't think of a better place to go to give voice to this than in Psalm 116, verse 9, which is why we read it earlier in our worship service. In verse 9 of Psalm 116, the psalmist says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. That is a confession of somebody who has died and has been raised. That is a confession of a believer. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. But if you were to flip over to Psalm 116 in your worship folder and just do a quick skim, that statement is is said in the midst of death in verse 3, Distress and anguish in verse 3. 
tears in verse 8, stumbling in verse 8, affliction in verse 10, lies in verse 11. No less than 13 times is that statement, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living, surrounded by threatening realities of life the side of heaven. So when we talk about the context for living the resurrection, we're talking about a context, a land that is dangerous. A lot can go wrong. Resurrection life takes place in the country of death. And why is that so important? Because the resurrection of Jesus really matters. In fact, the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, took place in a land of death. In order that you, if you are a believer, you might be able to say, as an expression of faith, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And know that to say that is not just a spiritual platitude. It's not ignoring life as it really is. It's saying that there's more than life as it really is. So, that's the context for living the resurrection. Does it really matter? I think what we're seeing and what I'm trying to say is, yes, it absolutely does. It matters for who you are and how you will live this side of heaven. So then what about the practice of living the resurrection? Well, first of all, let's ask this question. Why did Jesus have to rise from the dead in the first place? What is the purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection? Well, Paul, in one of others of his letters, he gives us an answer, and he essentially says, Jesus rose from the dead in order that we too might walk in newness of life. There is an inextricable bond between the, the resurrection of Jesus and your lived life. The resurrection of Jesus is not just eternal fire insurance. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus is what makes it possible to change. And what the resurrection of Jesus means is that everything in our lives has to change. Remember, what is a Christian? You've died and you are now alive with Christ. That means there's a fundamental change that takes place when Jesus, by his spirit, enters into a person's life. And what does this look like? Well, let's look here again at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 2. If everything we're saying is true, if the death and resurrection of Jesus really happened, and you've been raised with him, then what? Paul says, verse 1, seek the things that are above, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of his Father. And then verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, we have to stop and pause there very quickly because uh, I think taken out of context, this is where Christians get uh, this, the, the, sometimes a very accurate uh, 
tongue-in-cheek description that we are people who are so heavenly-minded that we are no earthly good. (laughs) You could get that impression from this, that what it really means to to be a Christian is focus on what is yet to come, focus on heaven, focus on where we're going, Uh, Set your mind on things above. Seek what is above. Don't get embroiled in all of the disaster and and the sadness and the grief. Uh, Live above the clouds. And I'm just here to tell you, that is not Christianity. You know what that is? That's Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a a variation in many ways on Christianity that emerged in the early centuries that basically... The message was, escape creation. How do you get out of this mess? But see, here's the irony. That's not what Christianity says at all. Why? Because God made everything. And he made it good. And we messed it up. And you know what God has done in Jesus is he said, I care so much about what I've made and the people I've made. I'm going to enter into it. I'm going to come to them. And I'm going to make a way for it all to be made right again. That is not Gnosticism. That, what Paul is saying here when he says to set your mind on Christ, to seek him, he is saying you need to fix your life and your love and your affections on the God who has come to you. Who has suffered and died and he has risen. So that in setting your mind on Jesus... Fixing your life on him, you are connected to the one who can actually bring change in your life that will one day be total and complete and beautiful. And beyond that, everything that you see will be, will be made new again. Now, what does that maybe look like in your everyday life? Well, let me try again, put this in some context for you. Here when Paul says... If you've been raised with Christ, seek what is above, set your minds on things that are above. What does that look like practically? Well, as is the case in all of Paul's letters, it's true in this one. They break into basically two two halves. The first half, Paul unfolds the good news about Jesus. He's done that in Colossians, Colossians 1 and 2. He did it in Ephesians, Ephesians 1 through 3. He did it in Romans, Romans 1 through 11. But then, halfway through, he transitions from doctrine, from the good news about Jesus, to what does it mean for you now? How should this impact and change the way you live? And that's where we are in Colossians. And what he says is he's he's giving us a pattern for understanding what it means to practice living the resurrection. And there are two key words that he uses Time and again. But here in verse, in in Colossians chapter 3, you don't have this in your worship folder, but you can look at it later. This is what he says. After saying, if you have been raised with Jesus, seek the things that are above, set your minds on things that are above. What does it look like to do that? Verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he goes on in verse 12, he says, not not just put to death, but then put on. 
as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In Ephesians, he uses the exact same language. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And then he says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, I think it's very important for you to understand when Paul says, put off and put on, he is not saying, stop it. Do better. What he is saying is he's given you a clue of what it means practically every day to live the resurrection. To participate in the resurrection life of Jesus. Think of it like this. What does put off connect you to? It connects you to the death of Jesus. Putting off is the active work of dying. You have died, and you are still dying by putting off. What does put on tie you to? It ties you to the resurrection. It ties you to new life. So in the same way that Jesus had to, in real life, in real time, die and rise again, to be united to Jesus in his death and resurrection in order that you would walk in newness of life, what that looks like every day is putting off and putting on. Now, I know that that may sound um, kind of, um, I don't know, really hard um, and perhaps sometimes hard to detect But the reason why I made such an issue about, this is not talking about escaping life as we know it. Putting off and putting on is what it looks like to be truly human. It's what it looks like to follow after Jesus, to experience in your life today what Jesus came and did when he lived on the face of this earth. And suffered and died and rose again. You see, to put off and put on is just not a spiritual strategy to be morally uh, better. It is the practical daily way of living by faith that draws you into the life of Jesus, that enables you to participate. In his life. Now, what might this look like in practical, everyday uh, terms? Well, let me borrow from one of my favorite writers, Eugene Peterson. This is how he would answer that question. What's this look like? How do we do it? He says, we do this by gathering in congregations and regular worship before our living God and our death-defeating Christ and our life-abounding Holy Spirit. We do it by reading, pondering, teaching, and preaching the word of life as it is revealed in our scriptures. We do it by baptizing men, women, and children in the name of the Trinity, nurturing them into a resurrection life. We do it by eating the life of Jesus in the bread and wine of the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. We do it by visiting prisoners, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, welcoming the stranger, healing the sick, working for justice, 
loving our enemies, raising our children, doing our everyday work to the glory of God. In other words, what is putting off and putting on is how we participate in God overlapping, heaven and earth overlapping. Putting off and putting on is the practice of living the resurrection. Now, I think we need to be very honest here for a moment about this because um, that raises the question of what about the hope of living the resurrection? If the context of the resurrection, of walking before the Lord in the land of of the living, is fraught with hardship and difficulty and sadness, and the practice of living the resurrection is counterintuitive to the very fabric of our being, what hope is there for actually doing this, for living the resurrection? And I want you to to think about this with me for a moment. Why shouldn't you give up? You know, every one of us in here has had a different kind of week, a different kind of day already, a different life history, different ups and downs. And if you've been a Christian very long, or you know someone who has, and they're being honest with you, living the Christian life, being a Christian, does not mean your life will be easier. In fact, the New Testament says it's in all likelihood going to get harder. So then what hope is there for living the resurrection if that's true? And we find the answer earlier in this letter uh, of, uh, to the Colossians when Paul is uh, expounding this good news, what he calls the mystery that has been hidden for ages past. Not in some sense like it's a secret that you have to... Um, you might never really be able to figure out, but in the sense of it's now been fully revealed in Jesus. And here's what Paul says God has done in sending Jesus to the, to the nations. He says to them, that is the whole world, to the, to the Gentiles, God chose to make known how great are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what is this mystery? It is Christ in you the hope of glory. Why shouldn't you give up? Here's why. Because Jesus Christ, by his spirit, has taken up residence in you. And he is your hope of glory. Why? Because he's already entered into glory. Why shouldn't you give up? Jesus has taken up residence in your life. Remember, you're alive from the dead in your mortal body. Both are true at the same time. Now, I was trying to think of a way I could, I could illustrate this, and the best I could come up with was um, thinking about parents and children. This inevitably happens whenever my mom comes to visit me. Um, because my, my parents got divorced when I was one and a half. Some of you know that. So she hasn't lived with my dad for a long time. And yet, whenever she comes and visits me, I will do something. And even since it's been so many years, my mom will say, 
oh my goodness, Will, that, that was just like what your dad does. And um, now sometimes that can be good. Um, sometimes it's not so good. But the point is, children resemble their parents. They have similar mannerisms. They have similar abilities. They have similar characteristics. And like I said, some are good and some are not. And, and here's the thing about that. That's just a given. You can't change that. And I think the hardest thing is, as a parent now, and I think about how this is true with my children, by virtue of being uh, connected to me, I'm passing on the inevitable reality that they will die. And I can't change that. But when we talk about Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, what we're saying is that you now, by his spirit, begin to take on his mannerisms, his characteristics, his abilities, his wisdom. And you know what? It unravels the death in you. It makes the inevitable reality that we all one day will die lose its grip. So that Paul in the New Testament, you know what, when he talks about believers, he never really says they died. You know what he says? He says they've fallen asleep. Now that's not to make light of the, of the reality and the anguish and the hurt and the pain and loss of death. It's simply to say death has lost its sting. It's not the last word. And so when Paul says that the hope of living the resurrection is Christ in you, the hope of glory, what that means is that your guilt and shame is no match for Jesus. That Jesus taking up residence in your life is not conditional based on your guilt or your shame or your getting rid of it or your dealing with it. Why is that? Because Jesus enters into lives that only have guilt and shame in order to replace it with forgiveness and honor and dignity. What it also means to say that Jesus dwells in you by his spirit, if you are a believer, what that means is that every single experience down to the smallest detail in your life of sin and breakdown and hurt, every single piece of what we said earlier of that estate of sin and misery has been conquered by the resurrection of Jesus. What that means is this. If you're a Christian, faith in him means that you have at your disposal all of the resources of Jesus' resurrection life. That you have, through faith, all the power and help and grace and mercy and patience you could ever possibly need or want to put off and to put on, to participate in this new future, all the new possibilities for you to become the man or woman, boy or girl, that God intends for you to become. That is possible, and not just possible, it is what God is doing 
in your life through the resurrection. So when we talk about what difference does the resurrection make practically for your everyday life, it makes all the difference in the world. Because living the resurrection is the essence of the life of faith. And it's full of wonder and possibility and hope that we are invited into this morning to discover again. Perhaps you've lost hope. Perhaps you're frustrated and discouraged and you don't feel like the resurrection matters at all. Or perhaps this morning you can begin to recover that the context of the resurrection, the practice of the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection is all about a relationship with Jesus. Go back to the basics of who he is and what he has done and what he freely gives and rediscover what it means for your life to be hidden with him and to know that when he appears, you will appear with him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we again get to remember and focus in and celebrate the good news that you, Lord Jesus, have risen from the dead and you now live and reign at the right hand of your Father and that you will come back and make all things new. Father, we ask that you would make all of those truths uh, pierce our hearts this morning and give us hope that your resurrection matters for our, our life here and now, even as we await our life with you there and then. So, Father, would you please help us? Help us to delight in Jesus and to put off and put on in partnership with him. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.